0: With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the privacy Professor. We are here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and
1: welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host, and I'm so happy you're joining us today. Welcome to the 17th episode of my show. I'm really happy to have this platform to help raise the awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, highlight current issues that need to be discussed more, and I also love to provide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and to better protect their privacy. Please check out my websites, simbus 360com and PrivacyGuidance.com. My May Privacy Professor Tips message was published on April 30th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, sign up for them. They're free. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. And please send me an email letting me know who your privacy go-to person is at your work or in your personal life. I am recognizing privacy heroes in my monthly tips messages throughout all of 2018. Now, today, my tip of the week relates to a talk I gave this month, May, for a full house of the clients of Compass Financial in West Des Moines, Iowa. And I spoke with them about identity theft and fraud and some of the actions to take to help mitigate the harms that can occur when a crook or a rogue employee or unscrupulous third-party vendor gets their hands on your financial data. Now, in the United States, every person has the legal right to get one free, full-detailed credit report each year from each of the three major credit reporting agencies, which are TransUnion, Experian, and Equifax. Please be sure to request your free report from each of these agencies, but do not ask for them all at once. Here's your tip. From all three of the agencies, stagger your request to just one request for one agency at a time every four months. Now, this way, you can see changes that occur after only four months instead of waiting till after the 12-month period, which could leave a lot of time for important activities to go unnoticed and unaccounted for, and that gives the crooks and others with malicious intent 12 months to misuse your financial data, potentially, without your knowledge or you noticing it. Now, I've received great feedback from listeners about my shows that discussed careers, such as the shows I did with Cindy Rockwell, Linda Cadigan, and Jarrett Pfluger. Now today, I'm discussing a different aspect of IT information security and privacy careers. The topic of how to get women into science, technology, engineering and math, otherwise called STEM careers, has been discussed really literally for decades. And there are so many opinions and ideas for how to get more women involved. there is no simple answer, despite what some may claim. There are many actions that must be taken and take place throughout really entire lifetimes and generations and many attitudes which need to be changed, which, which is huge. I see that. I understand that. But I believe it's not an insurmountable challenge. Now, I've always loved STEM classes. If you've listened to my show before, you probably have heard my story about how my father would give me his seventh through 12th grade math students problems while he graded their papers. When I was in kindergarten through third grade, and this was while my my mom was at the hospital during the night shift uh, there, my father taught secondary school math before he became a superintendent of schools. Now, while growing up, I never heard my parents say anything about what I could and could not be able to do based upon my gender. Instead, I always heard, Rebecca, now you can do anything if you try. We know you're able And, you know, they always expected me to do my best and get the highest scores possible in all my classes and really to do all other things as well. I mean, I helped with home repairs, uh, school building repairs. My dad would often make the repairs at the school building, and I helped him a lot of times doing vehicle maintenance, as well as, of course, cooking and gardening and sewing music and all those other things. You know, that's just the way it was. And I did not experience any type of gender expectations or restrictions until I was in college getting my bachelor's degrees. I got a double major of math and computer science. Now, in that same double major... At that time, there were five other women who were in most of my classes throughout my undergraduate years, along with about around 170 to 75, 175 men who were in those same double major classes. But it wasn't in those classes where I experienced gender exclusions, restrictions, or other types of negativity. In fact, those five other women and I we were all in the Kappa Mu Epsilon Math Honor Society along with five men. So we had a 55% women to 45% men ratio in our Math Honor Society despite, you know, the total number in those majors. But I didn't notice that. The discriminatory statements really occurred in what many might find surprising. This was after I joined a social sorority in my sophomore year. Now, I was the only math and computer science major in the sorority, and I really enjoyed it. And most of the the women in the sorority, I really enjoyed being around them. However, after a few months, I started getting criticisms from a few, not all. But some of them, uh, others in the sorority, would make statements like, well, you are a geek instead of being a Greek. I mean, that one stuck with me. Or I was being weird for being in those classes and other names. And then those names started coming from their boyfriends as well. And a few memorable nasty incidents. Now, after college, throughout my career, Most men and women have been very supportive, but I have had some very challenging and a few downright dangerous situations with around the same number of women and men in my profession throughout my entire career based upon what their views were for what women should be doing in the IT and privacy professions. I mean, right up through a threatening situation I experienced just earlier this year. So, you know, that's my perspective of being a woman in this field and what I've experienced throughout my lifetime of being in STEM. And I have seen that the problems with attracting and keeping women in IT is due to many factors from, The atmosphere in which children are raised to the people of all genders who are influencers in their lives and too many practices within the IT, InfoSec and privacy industries that often really result in forcing or encouraging women to leave their careers Uh, My belief is that there are multiple changes that must be made, Uh, one, in women's private lives and dealing with their family and significant others uh, throughout their entire lives, two, in the schools that women attend from preschool up through college, three, in their workplaces, and four, within the groups where women participate or want to participate, either Um, you know, with many others or a few others. So for women who are in environments where changes are made to be more inclusive and supportive, I believe women will be able to have success in STEM fields in general. I read so many articles and hear so many make statements about what tech companies should do with no mention of any of these other significant factors that, that I've seen in my experiences are so important. Today, I'm so excited to have as my guest a trailblazer for women in the IT field. Karen Worstel is Managing Principal and Founder at W Risk Group, LLC, which is a cybersecurity company, and she's joining me today to discuss women in IT fields. Now, Karen's own career took her from being a mom of toddlers to being a grad student to a Silicon Valley CEO, and to being Microsoft CISO in the span of 20 years. Now, since her time at Microsoft, Karen consults on security and privacy, and she's authored several books, including an Amazon bestseller, so go ahead and check that out, And also Karen continues to speak on best practices in this field. Now it was Karen's love of computing and appreciation for what a computing career did for her and her family that led her to study in depth the question, why are women leaving computing? And Karen tells me the answers she's hearing are not what most folks would expect. Now, you can see more about Karen's career path at her LinkedIn page and also by following Karen on Twitter at Karen Worstel and also at her website, KarenWorstel.com. Karen, thank you so very much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show.
2: Thanks, Rebecca. I'm thrilled to be here.
1: Oh, I'm looking forward so much to our discussion. You know, I'm a great believer that our environments, when we're young, is a great influencer, among others, for what people will ultimately uh, decide to do as their adults. Now, did you grow up in an environment that pushed gender roles, or were you encouraged to change to more women type of classes or majors or careers? Give us a little um, background on, you know, how... What you experienced uh, growing up. Sure. I, I,
2: um, I'd i be happy to. You know, my sister and I, uh, and I mention her because she is the rocket scientist in the family, mm. but we grew up in a fairly traditional household. Um, I mean, we were surrounded by the Cleaver family and Father's Knows Best on the TV, and mm-hmm. my mom didn't work um, other than in my dad's medical office. But I grew up in a family that sort of didn't distinguish the difference between what girls could do and what boys could do, as far as they their belief system went. So Mm -hmm. I I had a Navy father. Um, He had been a Navy fighter pilot in World War II. Wow! And after the yeah, yeah, he he, and he had multiple patents to his name. Holy Uh, cow! he was um he was recruited to the Department of naval intelligence and and um he had a love of flying, but he also had developed a love of medicine. And so after he got discharged from the Navy and went into the reserves, he um, he followed a career and became a medical doctor. But he was also an engineer. And so mm-hmm. I literally grew up in a family where i, you know that my father was running. medical practice as a physician. He was also the chief engineer for his father's company that manufactured autopilots for the fishing fleets around the coasts of the United States and internationally. Okay. And um, yeah, so, and I grew up, I grew up in a family with two older brothers and a Navy Mm -hmm. dad and, and all the, the um, innuendo that goes along with that. Right, right. (laughs)
1: Right. Well, well, you know, it's interesting. I just want to mention, my father was in World War II also. He was also in the Navy. Um, oh, maybe they knew each other. <laughs> of course, the Navy's huge, but he was uh, on a heavy destroyer. I can't remember the name of it, but I'll have to talk with you later about yeah, that. So very interesting. Yeah, sure. um, yeah he, he really
2: fostered that idea that, um, okay, so you're a girl, mm-hmm. and you can do almost anything. The only time I remember hearing anything that was something that seemed like a barrier because I was female was when I attended his Navy Aviators reunion in Pensacola and I fell in love with the Blue Angels.
1: Like, oh, I, yeah.
2: I wanted to be, a, that was the first thing I wanted to be in my life, was a Blue Angel pilot. Mm-hmm. And then, then those days, I think that was in the 60s, <clears throat> excuse me, he said, yeah, honey, they, girls can't do that. I'm Because I remember- of
1: the navy navy restriction, not because yeah. of your dad's restriction, though. Right. So, yeah.
2: And I, and I remember sitting there in utter shock. Mm-hmm. Like what?
1: <laughs> what kind of rule is that? Right. What kind of a rule is
2: that? I had it had, but that, until that point, and I think I was twelve, I mm-hmm. had never in, encountered something that said you can't do that because you're a girl.
1: Yeah, I think that. Well, that is so. I mean, it it makes such a big difference. So, you know, the same as probably you could tell with me, too. So, well, what about then your pre-college days led you to IT? I mean, anything in elementary or secondary school or after you, um, you know, decided what you wanted to do in college? Well,
2: I didn't. So, so, my pre-college days, I'll, I'll be honest with you, um, and this always comes as a surprise to people. I I loved uh, all my classes in school and and, uh, and did fairly well in school, but my love was music and art. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I am totally one of those people that if they take the test about which side of the brain do you live in, I'm 95% in the creative brain. That's where I live. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the side of me that is the, you know, the side that you would expect for someone who is heavily in math and science and computer science is not, <laughs> is not where mm-hmm. I'm, I'm naturally gifted. I, I was a musician and I even studied professional, uh, like performance level
1: Oh wow! Um, music
2: at the university. And I had initially when I started at the university, and I think it was really because of the insistence of my father, Mm -hmm. um, I studied chemistry and music. And I had those two worlds together. And I it was really tough on me, actually, because I would spend probably double the amount of time on my physics and math homework than anybody else. It just didn't come naturally to me. Mm-hmm. I worked really, really hard on it, but I was also frustrated because I knew that if I pursued my natural tendency, I'd be phi beta kappa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and um I went to my dad one day and I said, Hey, I need to be I, I think I need to be in humanities, honestly. To be honest with you, that would be the best place for me because I would have straight A's, it would be it'd be great. Instead mm-hmm. of struggling mm-hmm. through school, I'd be breezing through school. And he looked at me and he said, but who would help you pay for school? <laughs> if you <would> that? <laughs> and that was the end of that conversation. I mean, I wasn't one of those rebels that said, well, you know, to heck with that. I'm going to go do what I want to do and I'll do yeah, it on my yeah. own without you. I said, I was just like, what? Okay, fine, I'll stay. And I did. And so, I'm really, so, really,
1: yeah. Well, so well, your, your majors were then in... Um- in chemistry and in music
2: right oh yes oh. i started off that way i ended up dropping the music because i i found it i found that the for me to be able to um complete my studies in science and i ended up graduating with a, a degree a, a bachelor science degree in, in biology and chemistry and, and nothing in music but that was my choice i wanted to pursue that i found out i found that i really loved the those topics i mm-hmm. and it was my creating that l- let me solve problems oh, it, i sure. had to learn the language right the math language and, I, and the symbolic language of those science fields um and i had to work extra hard to do that but once i learned it my ability to solve problems was um was pretty good and i did end up being part of the um i i was invited to join the women's chemistry honorary oh Uh, nice yeah i owned a sigma pi um because i did quite well in it well then i got great grades i got great grades once i settled down and figured out how to focus
1: (laughs) yeah well chemistry must have been so much fun especially if you did you know a lot of lab work and got to mix together different things and Maybe even, uh, did you have any exciting, like, explosions or anything else? That <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, I, um, because of the biology component, uh, they didn't have a, bio- a biochem degree at the time, but that's really where I went, and I okay. uh, I was very interested in the um, biochemistry aspect of things, and my first job out of college yeah. was as a laboratory technician for the University of Washington Medical School in biochemistry, and I did research in blood proteins. Oh wow! I, I mean, I wasn't the researcher, obviously. I was a, you know, fresh graduate out of uh, out of college, but I was uh, a lab assistant, and we worked on a research associated with um, uh, hemophilia. Oh wow! And, and um i was uh, i was able there to do some of the very early work in um, dna sequencing so yeah, yeah very exciting yeah. time to be yeah. in that community very but not computing. my at my computing experience was limited at that time to taking card decks To the computer center at the university and submitting them, you know, taking Mm -hmm. stacks stacks of cards, and you know what that was like trying to get the programming right. Yes, decks, and and there was a reason everybody threw them off the roof of the dormitory at the end (laughs) of the term. But we would take those card decks to the you know, to the computer center, and then they would just take these card decks; they would disappear, and then the next day you would get your results back. That was the extent of the computing that I did.
1: Well. So, what took you from DNA sequencing into an <laughs> IT career then? I mean, what was the transition point there?
2: Well, um, there was a big disruption in my life. Um, the the day that I got my resume for my job search after my chemistry degree um, was the day I found out that I was expecting my first child. Ah,
1: okay. <laughs> and... and
2: I tried doing the, I tried doing working, I I mean, in those days, we didn't get leave, right, to go back. And Mm -hmm. um, so when my daughter arrived, I went back to work when she was six weeks old. Oh, wow. That, which I recognize now was just extraordinarily early. And, and it was really tough. And I ended up, I ended up needing to stop. And so I took five years hiatus. And when I got, to the point five years later where I had a kindergartner, um, you know, basically a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And I decided that uh, there was a life situation for me that was pretty untenable. Mm-hmm. I needed to get back to work. And um, I found that, you know, DNA sequencing had moved on to something much more uh, sophisticated and my five year in in the time that I had been away my degree had become fairly obsolete
1: oh wow well five years I mean things do you know move very quickly yes yeah 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 and so really what happened
2: what happened that made the transition work was I have a brother my brother Michael older brother who was quite the hacker uh literally in those days and he Uh was doing some very cool things with tandy and radio shack computers he came over and he dropped off a computer at my house now this was a radio shack a trs 80 running dos with 64k of ram and he put it he set the whole thing up it took up an entire table yes he said he said to me sister you need to learn to code well good for
1: him.
2: Yeah. And I mean and I, but but my I had no experience with, you know, a computer the hands on like that and I was pretty intimidated by the whole thing. Uh-huh. And it took a, a lot of encouragement. I was pretty sure if I put my fingers on the keyboard it was going to go up in flames, but um that you know, he so encouraged me and I learned that yeah. I was a good programmer. I, I started programming in Visual Basic, and then I took up another programming language called Forth, which was tons of fun.
1: Mm-hmm. And I was
2: like, "Oh my gosh, I can do this! I'm good at it."
1: Right. Well, and, you know yeah. how nice. I mean, there again, your family is helping you. You know, those around yeah. you. So that's that's so great. Well, it. I think I think
2: the thing that was remarkable was the the belief system that there are no limits.
1: Yes. Uh huh
2: right? That's important that there's nothing about you that, sh- that makes you unsuitable for doing the things that you are called to do. Yeah. And, and are capable to do. Right. Yeah. And that might be for some people, you know, for, 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 it doesn't matter on so much by gender roles, what we do professionally or with our life. If somebody really feels that they are um, best suited for uh, caregiving at home, they should mm-hmm. do that, mm-hmm. right? And be able to do that. It, uh, likewise, if 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 it's a, a a woman who is wants to pursue something in tech, then do that. Yeah, there's nothing that should limit you.
1: Yeah, that's, like like uh, Cheryl Crow said, if it makes you happy, right? So
2: <laughs>
1: go yeah. ahead, and do it. So, oh, but it's awesome. interesting because because
2: when our Harvey Mudd um, Harvey Mudd University actually has a really successful program for women in computer science. But they, they made, they've did some studies and they found that women were not entering the field because they didn't think they'd be good at it.
1: Oh, my. Well, let's stop right there. We have a, a break coming up. So when we come back, let's start with looking at uh, women in tech. And then I want to hear after I give a few stats when we come back about um about that program, okay?
2: Okay, sounds good.
1: So now it's time for a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I appreciate so much. We're speaking today with Karen Worstell about why women are Leaving the IT profession. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as provide show topic suggestions using my email, Rebecca Harold at and also through my websites, Simbus360.com, privacyguidance.com, and my LinkedIn site. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors.
0: The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold & Associates offers information security products, privacy and compliance tools, education and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages she has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Simbas360.com? The Simbus system includes information security, privacy and compliance management, policies, procedures and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness. Breach Response and Management, Employee Tasks and Assets Management, and Risk Management Automation. Symbus also offers AlienVault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also Cyber Liability Insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com
1: now you don't have to stay linked
0: to your desktop or laptop take voice america on the go and listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Herald at RebeccaHerald.com. That's RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Now back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome
1: back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. Today, we're speaking with Karen Worstel about women in IT, information security, and privacy careers. So, before we left, we had started um, getting into the actual... Uh, computer science field and looking at some of the the trends for women and before um, I go back to uh, Karen to talk about uh, the Harvey Mudd uh, University or college I wanted to give a few statistics I thought was very interesting Uh, according to research stats from Wired magazine that came out in March of 2018 just this year it said that uh Of men with science, technology, engineering, or math degrees, 40% of them work in tech careers, but only 26% of women who have those STEM degrees do. And uh, I thought it was very interesting. The article states that the problems start with preliminary recruiting sessions that's why they said that women with these degrees didn't get into it I personally think it's far too simplistic and then also according to a different 2018 uh, research study the findings from the National Center for Women in Information Technology they found that women make up 57 percent of the U.S. workforce but only 26 percent of the tech workforce and only 17% of the Fortune 500 CIO positions. So I thought that was very interesting. Now, before the break, Karen was going to tell us about, um, and and correct me if I get this wrong, but I think you're gonna tell us about the Harvey Mudd College uh, findings, research findings?
2: Well, um, yeah, what I wanted to mention was so many people say that we don't have enough women who are entering the field. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the thing that I would point to there was Harvey Mudd who decided that they were going to try to change the trend that women were not entering the computer science field because they were finding that they, they either just didn't think they would fit in or that they weren't going to um, be qualified. So Harvey Mudd, as a, as a, as an educational institution decided to change that trend for them themselves. Mm-hmm. And they created a program that is now the majority women are women in their oh. computer science program. So they demonstrated, I think something very important, which is there may be these um, perceived barriers, but by making some adjustments in the way that they approach, um, Either their culture or their curriculum or their recruiting process or or whatever it is that they're doing. and i'm I'm not super familiar with it, but they demonstrated mm-hmm. that they could change that. And I think we're seeing that trend show up in a lot of other places. Here in Denver, um, Girls Who Code is running a summer camp and they' and they have an amazing, amazing agenda mm-hmm. that they're putting together for one week to get more girls into into coding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the thing that is interesting to me um, that leads to our main topic is, well, there's a ton of stuff that's saying that women, girls and women, are engaging in tech, specifically in computing, and they're even majority women in computing departments in this country. hmm but we don't see it in the workplace and it's such mm-hmm. a curious thing that's what I was curious about is like what happened
1: yeah so what have you been finding I know you've been doing research in this so what are you finding there that
2: so my I would say my research is is not formal research just to qualify that just to make okay. sure but the yeah when I I've I first read the AAUW report when it came out. I think in early two thousand, late two thousand sixteen, early two thousand seventeen, and mm-hmm. what they showed really stunned me. And that was that in STEM, the, the the question of the report or the name of the report, you can see it on their website and at AAUW. Um, and the name of the report is called "Why So Few," and it talks about why are we still seeing low numbers of women in STEM. Mm-hmm. And it talks about women in the biological sciences, in the psychological sciences, in, even in math and engineering. And women are, are, are more predominant in some of those than in others. All of those areas, though, have made gains in the last 20 years. They've all, they've all increased. They're still mm-hmm. low representation. Proportionately, but they've all increased. What blew my mind is when I looked at the report and it said women in computing went mm-hmm. from a high of about thirty-five percent of the computing workforce in in nineteen eighty-eight, which was the year I got my master's degree in computer science. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. <laughs> and they okay, and they Funny. dropped the drop to twenty-three percent as of two thousand sixteen. It. Fell off a cliff. And Mm -hmm. what's so, so here we have on the one hand, women who are entering, entering the field, they have some interest. They're showing that, you know, they're, they're, they're taking the classes, right? They're participating. Mm -hmm. They might even be entering the workforce, but they're not staying. Mm -hmm. And the net loss, the net loss is, um, you know, from 35% to 23% since 1988. So what's that about? That's the question that I started asking because mm-hmm. I was not satisfied with the results that I was seeing from various studies that were getting put out. So this has been talked mm-hmm. about quite a bit. It's like a popular topic, right? Right, right. Um, and people are publishing reports and they're speculating on why this is true. And um, and there's been a number of of things offered, but of course we still have pay inequity, right? Oh st- yeah. We still have uh, inherent bias to some to 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 a great degree in some areas. Mm-hmm. We still these are things that you and I both had all throughout our career, mm-hmm. but we still succeeded in having a career. So what's the difference? What's the mm-hmm. difference? And um i have I have a um, we've based a lot of what we do in our work at WRIsk Group. With our program called Mojo Maker, we've based a lot of that on. Well, there's a couple of things. One of them is resilience. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, I grew up with a Navy dad. Uh, the banter in the household was not what you would call PC, right? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, with two older brothers, and I kind of grew up around that. I'm not saying that's necessarily a good thing, but I didn't get I didn't get freaked out by it. So when I went to the workplace and I heard it in the workplace, or I saw the pinups in the workplace because they weren't really illegal yet, um, to me it wasn't like a big. It didn't. It didn't unsettle me. And and the fact that there was inherent bias in the workplace kind of took me back to the days when it said, "Well, girls don't fly blue angels."
1: Mm, mm-hmm. You know,
2: they yeah. don't fly. They don't do that in the in the in the Navy. I it it sort of was like laid down a gauntlet for me, and I was like, I'm picking that up. And you just you know you think that I can't do this? Just watch me. That was sort of the way that that generated a response in me. So we're trying to build up that kind of attitude that says, look, don't let these things get in your way. They're not worth they're not worth torching the incredible opportunity in a computing career for that. Yeah, but but what so that there's that aspect of it. But what came out of the RSA sessions that we did?
1: Yeah, you know, let's so hear about choose. those. Yeah. So yeah. tell our listeners and just as an FYI, we have probably around 55 percent of our listeners are in the U.S. and the rest are throughout uh, the rest of the world. So okay. um, you gave a, a couple you facilitated a couple of sessions at RSA. So maybe talk a little bit about that and what you found out from uh, those discussions,
2: right? Well, th- the RSA um, conference is one of the largest cybersecurity privacy conferences in the world. I think they had uh, in San Francisco. They had forty thousand people wow. at this wow. last uh, event uh, in April, mm-hmm. and I was I was invited to do two peer to peer sessions. There and a peer-to-peer session is a facilitated conversation, so it's not a presentation so much to an audience, as it is an opportunity for people to attend a session where they're going to have a facilitated conversation to on a particular topic. And the topic they asked me to talk on is why are women leaving computing? Mm. And so I took this as the opportunity for some research, and we had mm-hmm. a very diverse audience. Um, Of participants in attendance and that was part of the interesting thing is this is not a huge issue for people outside of the U.S. in fact some of the some of the people from uh, other countries and we had representation from from Europe from Israel in the Middle East from uh, Nigeria from Pakistan Mm
0: -hmm. so we had an
2: international group that some of the, the people who were coming from from countries outside the United States were sort of mystified as to what is the problem here?
1: (laughs) Ah, interesting. Right.
2: And the younger, uh, you know, we had some 20 something uh, women who were in computing who kind of were also mystified by this because their experience was my dad told me I could do anything. Mm -hmm. I don't see what the issue is. Mm -hmm. And, and so Yeah. So what is the issue? I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what we did in the, in the session, because part of my job is to get everybody talking to each other. One way I did that was to make everyone equally uncomfortable.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. (laughs) And,
2: and I had everyone get up around and walk around the room. I, I I did, I did this very brief exercise and I'll try to describe this uh, briefly. I had them walk around the room three times. The first time I asked them to walk around the room and I said, I want you to walk around the room as yourself, just wh- who you are. Let's take a stroll around the room and um, let's and just kind of notice how other people are kind of walking around the room.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Second time we walked around the room, I said, whatever you feel that energy is that is you, I want you, to dis- I want you to choose the energy that is not you, the opposite of you. And I want you to walk around the room as that.
1: Oh, interesting!
2: And, and the second, the third time we had them walk around the room, I said, "And the, this is—I want you to walk around the room completely neutral. You're not going to project anything that might be different from the other people in the room. And I want you to walk around the room and see what you fe- The room feels like when you do mm-hmm. that. That was actually more successful than I imagined it was going to be." <sighs> Because what came out of the conversation was the universal feeling, regardless of where people were from, or regardless of what gender they were, was that when they walked around the room of themselves, of course, they felt completely, everything felt great. Mm -hmm. When they walked around the room as something other than themselves, it took a tremendous amount of their energy. When they walked around the room neutral, all the energy in the room was gone. It was like a room full of zombies, mm-hmm. and like everything slowed down. And the conversation that followed that was was this: Imagine if it takes if you are in a workplace where there is an expectation that you are going to fit a norm or a mm-hmm. cultural standard that is not your natural standard. OK, it takes me mm-hmm. back to the days when I used to try to do math when I was an artist.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: It takes a ton of work. It takes a, it. It actually just demands a, a, a fair, a significant amount of personal bandwidth. That's bandwidth that is not available for doing meaningful work. Right. That's bandwidth that is completely uh, uh, locked up for the purpose of trying to fit in.
1: Yeah, and it makes Mm -hmm. the person feel
2: bad, too, right? Well, you just never really know. You're not yourself. You're not yourself, yeah. You're not bringing your best gifts and talents. And everybody, I believe, one of the beauties of... You know, people talk about millennial generation, but the conversation, people have had this conversation of what does it mean to engage millennials in the workplace? And what has come out of that conversation has been clarity that says people want meaningful work. Mm-hmm. Well, meaningful work means to me, I think, that you are bringing yourself to the job. You're bringing your own gifts and talents to the job, and you're doing something with your gifts and talents that make a difference. hmm it's what we all want. Right. Right? And when you have a, and, and look at the cul- I look at the culture in IT to a large degree, and I would speak from the U.S. because I don't have experience with this outside the U.S. Mm-hmm. And in cybersecurity, where it's even stronger, is that we have uh, 11, in cybersecurity, we have 11% women. Mm-hmm. We have less than 1% women in leadership. So what is that? What 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 is that? What is one way we could look at that? There there may be a subculture. There may be there may be kind of a subculture that is perceived, if not real, in um, in our organizations. And we're asking people either to manage that culture to a certain equal standard across all members of the organization, or people perceive that they have to behave a certain way to be a member of the organization or something in that area. Right. Mm -hmm. And what it, what it's driving is a sense that in order for me to participate here, I have to be something different than what I really am. I have to bring a different persona to the workplace. I have to, for women that might, for women in the U S that might be, Mm -hmm. I have to project a tougher Uh, perspective or something it's going to be different for different people but Mm -hmm. what we came out of the RSA conference conversation with and the experience there was um, part of this comes from the way we have actually encouraged management to manage And, and Mm -hmm. and, and we coined a term there called the beige management problem which is that we bring people into that a computing environment who bring all kinds of personality and vibrancy and color and diversity. And we manage them all the same.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And
2: that's so true. It is true. I was like, I I was like, hello.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and to some extent, HR actually encourages that yes. for legal reasons. Mm hmm. But when we, when we bring someone into a, um, a, an environment that has so much potential for creativity and so much potential for innovation and we manage them in a way where many people are, are actually behaving in a way that is not really them, we've taken up their bandwidth, which is taken away from the opportunity to innovate and be creative and i think some people are just saying this is not the best use of my talent
1: right well then so with women what is it that's taking away their bandwidth what do you see that is making them feel like it's just not a i don't want to be here anymore do you see any commonalities that's causing that
2: uh i think i think one of them and this is this gets back to what we do with mojo maker and i mm-hmm. and and and, and the research that we've had from other places, which is, it's a little bit about confidence. There's a perspective mm-hmm. that we don't hold our own at the table in a room full of men. And men, and very often, we're the only woman in the room. I still go to meetings where I'm the only woman in the room. Oh, yeah. Is, yeah me too. You know, like still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and. I think partly because of my upbringing, I don't have a problem speaking up in that environment. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, But you notice that a lot of women will um, be very indirect and very uh, uh, – it's almost like they've negotiated away their power in the room. And I'm not sure what that's about, you know, what what it is in their belief system or their experience has – has created that as a, um, personal practice, but that, that still happens very, Mm -hmm. very indirect. And, and there's this, you know, like I've been called, I've been called the B word. Oh yeah, me too. You know, because I've been
1: direct and I've Mm -hmm. been assertive
2: and confident. And I don't,
1: and you know what? I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You, You can't let it, uh, bring you down because um, you have to look at the other person calling you that, right?
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. I, I have a thing that I hang on my wall that says your perception of me is a reflection of you. Yeah. It's my, it's my reaction to you that is a reflection of me.
1: But you know, I I don't and, know if you've, um, just to really quick though, it's, it's all, it's not just about the people. It's not men against the women either. I mean, I've seen just as many women say and do terrible things to other women, uh, you know, and I've had some of the best um, men uh, proponents for me too. And I think so many people hear this topic and they think, oh, this is a man versus women thing. And it's not. It's not at all.
2: Thank you for saying that, because I agree with you 150 percent. This is not a gender issue. It's a people issue.
1: It's a people, yes, yes. It's a, yes. every person brings value regardless of, of gender.
2: Yes. Yeah, and and just like you, you mentioned, and I mean, we've all experienced it, that some of our very best um, managers and promoters are men. And some of the more difficult ones, if not most difficult ones, are other women. Mm-hmm. So it's not. So I, I, I would like the conversation to shift. I don't mean this conversation, but the bigger, broader conversation in the industry in general, to shift away from being about men and women,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and to be one about about potential and capability and div- you know diversity. Yes. But let's not do the beige management thing that puts Mm -hmm. everybody into bland and neutral and takes all the energy out of the team and actually is really relatively demoralizing. Right. And say, we're going to, we're just going to uh, excel as an organization in innovation and creativity. And the way we're going to do that is by learning to manage our organizations in a way where everyone's difference is valued and we're not trying to get everyone to come to the table and be alike. We're getting mm-hmm. everyone to come to the table with their full expression of who they are, whatever that might be, whatever, you know, whatever that might be and mm-hmm. figure out how to manage that in a way that brings out the best in that in that collective organization, it's like the difference between managing in color and managing in black and white.
1: Yeah, that's a very, um, a very good way to describe that. But you know, like you said, there's so many times organizations, especially I I've seen anyway, and maybe you've seen different. But it seems like the larger the organization gets, or based on the industry, the more rigid they are in what they require. For their um, their employees to be like, you know, you have to fit this particular mold um, to be here, and oh, sometimes yeah. that mold is uh, kind of leaning towards uh, a definition that was made back in the '50s or '60s.
2: Yeah, and I think that's really worth exploring. I don't, you mm-hmm. know, I don't have enough, um, uh, you know, firsthand like study material to be able to like offer a specific opinion about that. But what I would say is that there have been many management gurus around who have talked about management by walking around and um, knowing your people and connecting with them. And the single biggest, um, besides vision, besides vision and the ability to um, um, manage an organization the leadership that's needed to be able to connect with people in your organization so that they feel connected to as themselves and mm-hmm. and um, encouraged to, you know, pursue the things that are, you know, c- within the context of the company and within the context of the organization, pursue the things in the way that makes sense to them. So companies like Google do some very cool things, although Google's not, you know, perfect either when mm-hmm. it comes to you know, comes to this issue with computing. Um, None of the big technology companies in the U.S. are. But um, allowing people their 10% to express them, you know, to find find creative solutions and work them out in their own way, maybe that's part of it.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we're coming to the end of our time, and I wish we had another full hour. I'm going to have to have (laughs) you back on again, because we can really get into a deep dive on um, what – needs to be done to start, you know, changing thoughts. But I think uh, to summarize and let me know if you uh, think a little bit differently, I think it's a whole combination of growing up. We didn't really get into the education part, but I think that's worth another discussion sometime. And then how um, organizations view their employees and uh, expect them to either be beige, as you said, or to be themselves. So um, yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, you've really provided a lot of great food for thought.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. It was my delight.
1: Oh, great. So um, today we've been speaking with Karen Worstel, managing principal and founder at W Risk. W Risk Group LLC. You can see more about Karen at karenworstel.com and on Twitter at karenworstel. I'm your host Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. Please tune into my show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you will be able to listen to the recordings. You can find recordings of all my past shows on iTunes, Mobile Play, Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, Player FM, in addition to, of course, the Voice America business channel website. Also, contact me if you ever need any help with information security, privacy, and compliance keynotes. And for more information about my simbus 360com security and privacy cloud services, I also have a YouTube channel, The Privacy Professor, where you can see my appearances on CW Iowa Live morning shows. And contact me. Let me know your uh, show topic ideas using RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. I urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work, or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's used, secured, and potentially could impact your privacy. Until our next show ask those you do business with and work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead.
0: Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.